Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 28 of Revelation chapter 3. And we're continuing to look at verse 12, which says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. In our last study, we were looking at New Jerusalem and how God likens his people to a city, to a new city, not Jerusalem of old, Jerusalem which typifies the churches and congregations, but Jerusalem above, heavenly, a new city that is made up of all of God's elect. All of those that have themselves been made new through the salvation of God. And, and that's what God is saying here to the ones overcoming through the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the end of verse 12 says, and I will write upon him my new name. Now, I will write upon him is italicized. And the Greek actually just says, and my new name. But we have to understand that uh, the thought is being carried through. The thought that came earlier in the verse where it says, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and my new name. This is saying that God will write upon these people, his elect, his new name. And he's already said that. I will write upon him the name of my God. And and uh, he's basically making another statement when he says that he will write upon him my new name. That this name identifies completely with God, actually the word name in the Bible, when it refers to the name of God, is that which identifies completely with God. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, the Bible speaks of being baptized. And, and so we are baptized into the name of God, in, into all that identifies with him, his word and his truth. And and this is uh, saying the same thing. It's said uh, to be a new name, my new name, because God is doing a new thing in a sense, just as he gave a new covenant. And when he does something new, it makes that which is the previous old. And And so God now is saving people and uh, bringing them together into one body, into a bride, into a building construction like a temple. And even he is bringing them together as a city, compact together. New Jerusalem, built up on the foundation of the Lord Jesus himself. And he writes upon them his new name. Now, it says in John 17, and actually there's several references to God's name in the Gospel of John. We don't have time to look at them all. So we'll 
we'll just turn to John 17 and I'll read from verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Here we see the Son of God is praying to the Father within the Godhead mysteriously. And he is stating to the Father that he has manifested the Father's name unto the men which were given to him, and that he is praying for them, not for the world, but for those who he has revealed the Father's name to. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. You see, now they identify with the name of God, just as Jesus completely identifies with the name of God and all that God is. Christ uh, is likewise. And now those whom have been given to him are one with the Father and one with the Son and likewise identify with his name. And uh, it's really a wonderful thing that God has done in making us part of the family of God and and giving us such an intimate relationship with himself that that we completely identify with him and with his word. Well, let's move on in our study in Revelation 3. On to the next verse, verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And this is that um, refrain the verse that God gives after he addresses each one of the churches. This is the sixth time that we've read it. Um, I believe each time it is identical. I, I haven't been able to see anything different in any of the times that uh, the Lord has given us this statement. And even though it is identical, it, of course, it's not to be skipped over. We are to consider it. And we are to be reminded because God does nothing in in a haphazard way or frivolous or he doesn't do things that are of no importance. Everything he does is uh, calculated and it is wise and and has um, great meaning. And so he is reminding us. He thinks it's very important to remind us of this 
again and again. And so he is again. And what is the reminder? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That is, first of all, you must look for the deeper spiritual meaning of the things that I'm saying here. And that's true of the whole Bible. When Jesus would speak a parable, you would need an ear to hear it. Anyone can hear with their physical ears if they have that ability, and most people do. But to hear with spiritual ears, well, not just anyone can do that. As a matter of fact, no man can uh, naturally of his own because all men are spiritually dead. And when you're dead, that means you cannot see, you cannot hear, you cannot walk, and and so forth. You have no life. And hearing and seeing and walking are things that accompany life. And, and so it, we need an ear that only God can give as faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. We have to have heard the gospel at some point in our life, and God would have had to have blessed the hearing to our hearts to create in us a new heart, giving us new life, and with life there is seeing and hearing and 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 so forth. So that's one important thing that the Lord is reminding us of, that we need to look for the spiritual meaning. We need to be born again ourselves in order to hear what he is saying. And he's also reminding us that uh, he is speaking unto the churches. He, he wants us to understand that, that the things that are being said here are not just to these uh, individual congregations, these historical churches. You, you know, this is a major error that many make when studying the Bible, and especially modern-day theologians. You you hear it constantly. Well, what did the people of that time um, think about what God was saying? What did it mean to them? And let us place ourselves in their position. Let us approach the things that God said in the first and second Corinthians as though we were living in Corinth in the first century AD. And they, they think that somehow if they could, uh, manage to, to get the mindset of the Corinthians of the first century, that then they'll understand what God is saying. And it just reveals how much in darkness some of these theologians are and how much in darkness the churches are for listening to them. There's no way, and we can know this absolutely, there is no way anyone is going to understand the word of God by placing themselves in the shoes of uh, men that have lived at some point previously in history. There, there's no way. We, we don't understand God's word, an infinite word that comes from such an eternal being by placing ourselves 
in the shoes of ancient men as though they had some sort of wisdom. We, we know what is in men. We know what's in every man that has ever lived, uh, that we're dead in sin, that we don't know anything spiritually. And what good would it do to place ourselves in the shoes of other dead sinners that happened to live at the time when God was moving holy men to write down these things? It is uh, just a foolish idea that is very much in fashion in the writings of our modern theologians. And it's one of the main things that makes their writings dead and and very wooden and lifeless. They will write about the history and the setting of the books of the Bible and and the people of that time, and, and they'll search uh, documents outside of the scriptures to get a better feel and understanding for these people. And it, it doesn't help us at all. It goes contrary to helping us. It goes in the opposite direction of help. And it's, of course, not something the true believer wants to get involved in. We we don't study what men thought and how they received it. And, and God wasn't writing just to them anyway. He's writing to mankind and to his people throughout all time. And, and here he continually is telling us what I'm saying to this church in Philadelphia, in this case, what I'm saying to the church there is to be applied to all the churches. That the statements I'm making have to do with all the churches found throughout the church age, throughout the whole period, the 1955 years from 33 A.D. until the church's end in 1988. All right, let's um, move on and we'll read verse 14 of Revelation 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now we're, we've come to the uh, seventh church, the last of the seven churches, the last address that the Lord has given the Apostle John to declare. And this is unto the angel or the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans. Now it's been the case with some of these churches that we didn't have much uh, biblical information about them, but that's not the case with Laodicea. We do find other information that that helps us a little bit in understanding uh, some aspects or some things about this church. In Colossians chapter 2, it says in verse 1, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. There, there apparently there seems to have been some sort of connection with the church at Colossae and the church of the Laodiceans. We, we also read in chapter four of Colossians, in verse 13 and following, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Heropolis, 
Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now here uh, we see that that the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of God, is expressing some concern for the Laodiceans, for the church in Laodicea. He wants them also to hear the epistle that is being written to the Colossians. They are to share it. And uh, this gives us a little insight, actually, into historically how the word of God was spread early on when the Lord inspired Paul or some of the the other writings of the New Testament. Uh, they were to be shared uh, with the believers. They, they were to be shared with others that were in their surrounding area. And so the Colossians, they were commanded when the epistle was read among them, that it be caused uh, that the same epistle be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So read it to your congregation and then take that epistle. And uh, even though it was addressed to the Colossians and take it to the Laodicean church and read it there. And there we actually have uh, a little insight into the fact that what was written to the Colossians was not exclusively for the Colossians, but it could also be edifying for the Laodiceans as well as edifying for you and me and for all of God's people at all times. And the word of God is not just written to the individuals that it might have had opportunity at that time for this is the reason that is why it was written at a particular point in time and addressed to a particular church or or people like the Romans or Hebrews, but actually that God is just using that as an opportunity to bring divine revelation that will be a blessing to all of his people and to all that hear. And, and so uh, this is the case with the epistle to the Colossians. It was to be read to the Laodiceans. Now notice also that um, verse 16 of Colossians 4 says, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, it doesn't say epistle. That's italicized. But there was some writing that the Laodiceans had received. And that writing, the Colossians were to read. Now, what are we to make of this? What are we to think about this? We We don't have an epistle to the Laodiceans in the Bible. We do have an epistle to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, to the those at Thessalonica. We, we have these epistles, but there is no epistle to the Laodiceans that we find in the Bible. The only address we have is found in uh, Revelation 3 that we're just now getting into. 
But um, John is giving that information in the book of Revelation towards the end of the first century. And the Apostle Paul is being moved to write a few decades earlier. And, and so there's no way he could be making reference to the Revelation uh, scripture. There, that's not possible. The book of Revelation came after the book of Colossians. So there was some sort of writing. It could have been. There, there's nothing to say uh, there wasn't since Paul is aware of this writing. It's very possible that he wrote the Laodiceans in epistle that uh, he uh, gathered his thoughts and and he wrote them down and and he wrote something perhaps similar to the other epistles that that he had written that God moved him to write like to the Romans and Corinthians and Colossians and he wrote something to the Laodiceans the only difference is that God did not inspire that writing, whether it was Paul or whoever wrote it, that God did not inspire it. And that makes all the difference when it comes to the word of God. Paul could have written some well-crafted uh, thoughts and, and maybe things that were very edifying to the Laodiceans, just like people today can write studies or or write messages, write a, a nice, encouraging, and comforting note referring to the Word of God. And yet, the things that people write today are not inspired. They, they might be uplifting, they might be encouraging, but they're not inspired. And we're not to think that every single thing that the Apostle Paul wrote was inspired. No, he, he could have written many letters, but God only chose certain ones and moved him to write certain ones, and therefore uh, only certain ones were God-breathed. And whatever this this literature was that the Laodiceans had in their possession that was to be read according to Paul's instructions here to the Colossians, it was not the word of God. It was not on the level of the book of Colossians, for example, because God moved. He moved and directed Paul to write this. And since we do not have the letter to the Laodiceans in the Bible, and the Bible is complete, there's God's guarantee of that. We're not to add or subtract to this word, to the collection of writings that we have in the Old Testament and New Testament. From Genesis through Revelation, there's there's nothing additional. There's nothing forgotten. There's no lost book uh, in any kind, uh, in any way. It's just a writing that was not inspired. And I, I hope we all... Uh, understand, and I'm sure we do. God's people realize this. It's just uh, sometimes those that that um, are religious they they don't understand this, and and that's why there are some churches that they do add to the Bible. They think there's apocryphal books and and uh, books of the Old Testament and and some sort of missing books. They 
They don't realize how carefully and and protectively God watched over his word and would never allow um, a single sentence, a single scripture verse to uh, to be lost. No, it is one whole, one divine and glorious revelation from the mouth of God that is not to be added to or subtracted from, not even with uh, a wandering thought. Not even are we to think, well, maybe there was some letter to the Laodiceans that should be added. No, no, perish the thought. We're not to even consider it because it's not in the realm of possibility.